Hello there and welcome back to this Human Life Podcast. My name is Melissa Sanova and this is the first episode of a whole new project. This is the Design Fables kickoff episode, the one that I've been talking about, well, leading up to this one. And we've launched the first fable in uh, this human community, which we're hosting over Mighty Networks. And the link is always in the show notes below. So if you're interested to have a peek around, you should follow the link and come and join us over there. But the first fable, so the, the structure of these episodes are going to be not too dissimilar from the, you know, the read through of the book that we just wrapped up a couple of weeks ago, where I will um, read the fable that we've written, which is you know, normally about a real life experience of someone who has chosen to be a human-centered designer or a leader of human-centered designers or just a leader. I always wax on about this sort of stuff, don't I? But you know what I mean. So someone who is doing human-centered design work and what we've done is we've created fables that basically um, tell a story about the various experiences that people can have as they go through deepening their practice in human-centered design. And the whole intention behind writing the fable is to be able to provide access to experience and wisdom and knowledge in a really, I don't know, I think beautiful way, which is through storytelling. And we have written the first one, as I said, and the title of that first design fable is the designer who stayed quiet. So I'm going to read it out and then there's a whole bunch of stuff that we can unpack. So I'm not going to unpack the whole thing, but we've chosen a couple of um, different points and then I'll, I'll wrap up and send you on your way. So thanks again for joining. As always, I'm so grateful to those of you who choose to listen in and, and contemplate all the things that we're putting out into the world as part of the, this human universe. So, all right, here we go. The designer who stayed quiet. It was 10 a.m. and Alice was waiting for the meeting to start. She had the familiar feeling of butterflies in her stomach and tightness in her chest, but wasn't sure why. She wasn't presenting today, just listening. After the familiar weather quip, the head of product development, Sally, started the meeting. So team, we're under pressure to get this version out the door. The deadline has moved forward to Thursday next week. Where are we at with the round of changes? Alice realised now why she was feeling nervous. She hadn't told Sally that they needed to test the registration sequence with customers before launching. She didn't want to seem like she needed to over-consult with customers and felt like Sally hadn't really bought into the whole human-centered design way of working. Alice knew they needed to get the registration portion of the product right. It was the first main interaction customers had with their brand, and if it was broken, then the chances of them getting the numbers they needed for viability would also be compromised. She leaned across to her colleague while another was talking. Should I raise the need for customer testing? Pick your battles, Alice. The deadline has just moved up again. We're just going to have to write this one out. Her colleague, Greg, had been there longer and was more experienced. Alice remained quiet. The feeling she carried with her into the meeting 
remained with her as she left. The week flew by as everyone hustled to get the final changes in before the product went live. Alice was at dinner and didn't notice Greg's call until the next morning on her commute. What's up? She said, returning her calls from last night. Have you seen the emails from Sally? Not yet. Why? What's happened? Alice knew what had happened, and the butterflies and baby elephant took up residence in their usual places. The numbers are really bad. We've been asked to work out why. Better get straight to it when you get in. Alice sat in silence, playing out all scenarios in her head. Maybe it wasn't the registration sequence. Maybe it was something else. She found herself secretly hoping the launch flopped because of something she didn't know about. When she got in, she ran into Sally. She looked frustrated and tired. As soon as you know why we didn't hit the target numbers, come to me. Alice and her team spent the next 48 hours looking through customer data. No matter which way they looked at it, they came to the same conclusion. Alice groaned. She knew this was what was going to happen. She picked it six weeks ago. Now she had to go to Sally and explain what had happened. We've worked out what's happening, Alice said. Sally looked up expectantly from her computer. 60% of customers are dropping out before they complete registration. That's why the numbers are so low. The registration process seems to be too complicated and clunky. We'll need to redesign that sequence. How is it that we get to launch without picking this up? Why didn't the customer experience team sort this out earlier? Sally was angry. Alice hesitated. She didn't know how to handle this. I'll work with the team to fix the problem, but we will need time to validate the new design with customers. This change may cause further hassle from a data perspective. Sally asked Alice to come back to her with a revised timing plan and costing. Alice left the meeting feeling terrible. She felt terrible for not speaking up sooner. She felt annoyed her hesitation caused extra work for everyone. In that moment, she made herself a promise. The next time she had the butterflies in her stomach and the small elephant on her chest, she would speak up and share what she thought. The pain everyone was about to go through fixing the problem wasn't worth the moment of comfort she'd enjoyed by not speaking earlier. And... Every fable has a maxim, and the maxim of this fable is speaking up early saves pain later. So there is a lot that we can unpack in that fable. And that was the, this is the intention of doing these stories in this form because we envisage that these episodes or these fables could actually be used by, you know, people who are teaching human-centered design or people who are just wanting to, you know, personally deepen their practice in human-centered design to unpack all of the interactions that are happening and the order of things and the hesitations and all of that sort of stuff to get a deeper understanding of what it actually takes to be the person who's doing the designing, which is the whole point of all of this stuff that we do in this human, which is to illuminate all the things that we need to be uh, practicing and cultivating within ourselves beyond the tools and the, and the methods and the frameworks all of which are so essential, but there's a whole bunch of other background work that needs to happen, which is about the self, I guess, which is about leadership. 
So the thing that I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into was the part in the story where Alice realizes why she's feeling nervous. She hadn't told the product development manager, Sally, that they needed to test the registration sequence with customers before launching. And one of the reasons for that was she didn't want to seem like she wanted to over consult with customers and also was worried that Sally hadn't 100% bought into the whole human-centered design way of working, which, you know, those of you who choose to listen to this probably have experienced so far in your careers that we're constantly needing to talk about the value of human-centered design, which I think, you know, is a good thing. It's good to know how to have that um, conversation. Um, but the the thing that's, I think, really important to unpack about this is this notion of over-consultation with customers. And you know, there's a whole bunch of assumptions that businesses have around um, working in a human-centered design way that uh, actually engages with the people that you're designing for or with, as opposed to advocates of those people. And and the myths are usually that it takes a lot of time and it's really expensive and it's going to slow us down and it's either too early or too late or whatever. And then there's also the dilemma of, well, how, how many customers do we need to talk to and how often do we need to talk to them and at what points and, and it goes on and on. So one of the things that I think is important to notice here is that Alice choosing not to say anything at that moment, at that meeting, regardless of what was going on around her and the advice that she was given one of the really important aspects of being a human-centered designer in my mind is that you also need to cultivate a really clear voice. And that voice is going to be something that you're leveraging at every stage of the process. When you're doing research, your voice is going to be the voice of insight, the voice of the person who's actually spent time with the people the organization is ultimately in service of. And then during critique sessions, you know, your voice is going to be the one that advocates for valuing the the needs and desires of people that are the, you know, the focus of the design effort. And in moments like this, when you're in a in the meeting that Alice was at, where someone more senior than you are is putting you know, pressure on the team to deliver earlier for whatever organizational context that she's trying to manage and and work within. It's really important for your voice to be present in the decision making in those meetings too. Because if you are the human-centered designer in the room, you're also the person who probably is the most concerned or the most knowledgeable about the cohort for which everyone is working to please, essentially, or working to um, provide for their needs. Um, and, you know, one of the ways that I've learned to have that voice in those meetings, because it isn't easy, and that is to realise that there's actually a, a distance between you as a person and your work, and that that distance between who you are and what you do is a really important practice to cultivate, because it helps you be able to be unattached to the consequences of you speaking up in the moment in that meeting. And what I have learned in my, you know, career, you know, experiences being a human-centered designer is all consequences of speaking up, whether they're good or bad, are the most brilliant learning opportunities. I 
started off being very hesitant around my knowledge in human-centered design, but then became a little bit more vocal and advocated a little bit more for the process when I was at Forward and really understood when my voice was needed and when it wasn't. And either of those um, conditions, either of those uh, scenarios are so perfect to learn the art of being the person who does, does this type of work. And the more you, um, if you do establish a reflective practice and, you know, if you know me, you know that I advocate for one of those quite strongly, you start to realise, you start to build an intuition around when it's absolutely essential that you say something no matter what's going on in the room and when perhaps you can, you know, express your views a little less passionately. <laughs> The other thing that I wanted to touch on is the interaction that she has with her colleague, Greg, who, you know, has been there longer than, than Alice has and has more experience. And so Alice decided that she was going to remain quiet in that meeting. And, and, and so she did. She didn't say that she felt that the registration process needed to be tested before launch, trusting in Greg's experience. And I think Obviously, we need to do that. We need to trust and learn from um, people who've come before us, who have been perhaps, you know, working in the organization for much longer than us and to really respect their expertise and their experience. And also to cultivate a strong relationship with your own position on things and to learn how to voice what it is that you're thinking or feeling. And in the case of Alice, it was very visceral. So she had butterflies in her tummy and her chest was tight. Um, respectfully. And also as if I'm talking to people who are listening in right now, who are, you know, the more experienced people who've been in the industry for a while. One of the uh, traits that I admire most in people who've been around and seen everything. <laughs> I've been doing this for X amount of decades or Y amount of organizations, whatever it might be, that those people still have the intention to learn, that they carry with them this um, perspective that knowledge is everywhere and can be learnt from everyone, regardless of whether or not you've been in the organization for a week or if you've been in the organization for 40 years. And I know that in my experience working at Ford, I was a, a design engineer and I was responsible for all of the all of the bits in the car that, you know, the, the driver or passenger needed to interact with, you know, whether they were the displays or the buttons or the knobs or, you know, all of that kind of stuff and, and the way that information was arranged in the menu system and all of that. And of course, that interfaces with a whole bunch of other parts in the car. So I had to work with mechanical engineers who had been building, designing and building instrument panels since before I was born. <laughs> and I'd be asking them to, you know, make some changes to where the display was going to go and, and all of this sort of stuff, coming, advocating solely for, from a cognitive perspective or an attention perspective for the driver or passenger. And they would often tell me what wasn't possible. And I was infuriated. I was so cross because <laughs> I wanted them to go, that's an interesting suggestion. Let's just pause for a moment while we consider that as a possibility. But to their credit, they came around and I don't know whether or not that was because of my, they you know, took pity on my, my lack of experience and 
or, you know, got totally enrolled in my passion. I can't really discern between the two. But I learned a lot from them. I learned a lot about, you know, the the very real constraints that exist in their world. And they continued to remain open and curious. And perhaps it's a it's a element of being an engineer, you know, you're a, you're a natural problem solver. So you kind of go, hmm, that's interesting. That's an interesting challenge. We might solve that. But I think that that is such an important trait to um, hold on to even if you become a more experienced and senior person like Greg. And there's one other thing that Alice comes up against in, you know, in this scenario, which I think we'll be revisiting over and over and over again because it is such a big part of being a, you know, specialist within an organisation and that is that ongoing conversation where you need to uh, convince people about the need to consider the human element in the design of anything, in the decisions that the organisation makes in terms of its strategy or the design, the de- deliberate design of a product or service. And um, the next design fable is going to be all about that. So we're going to be spending quite a bit of time unpacking different ways to have that conversation and different strategies to prevent you from dying a little inside every time <laughs> when someone says, so what do you do and why is that important? Um, Okay, well, that brings us to the end of the first episode of the Design Fable series. Let's see where we go with this. Um, Hopefully, they will be a wonderful resource that you can dip back into um, over and over again, learn a little more each time. And as always, thank you so much for listening, and I'll be with you next week. Thanks. Bye.